want to invite you to take your Bible today and turn to Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to try to cover verses 45 through 56. Now, I'm just going to ask you to follow me as we go through this today. I'm not going to read it up front to uh, save some time. But uh, let me say a word about the invitation time. I know that uh, many people think the invitation is only for those who are lost. And it is a time when we invite the lost to come and trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But that's not the only thing that can happen in the invitation time. If God is speaking to your heart and you just need to draw a little closer to Him and you'd like to come to the altar and pray, that's fine. We, we would encourage you to do that. If you wish to become a part of this congregation, join this church, at the invitation time. That's the time to, to respond and, and do that. Anything that God is leading you to do during the invitation time, you feel free to do that because we want the Lord to be obeyed here in our service today. In this passage of Scripture, <clears throat> and I realized last Sunday I went to the book of uh, John and preached out of it to bring in the fact that Mary was at the cross. We're going back to Matthew here today, and these verses cover a time span of about three hours on the cross. Our time, it would be from noon to 3 p.m. And there's some miraculous things that takes place in this three-hour period that the Bible tells us about. And when I refer to something miraculous, it's things that only God can do. And I want you to just follow along with us. Let's just begin in verse 45. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Been there since nine o'clock in the morning. And the Bible says in verse 45, now from the sixth hour, which is noon, our time. They started counting at six in the morning as their time. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. There's a miracle that takes place right there. Darkness, beginning at noon time and continuing until three in the afternoon. I know there are people that says, well, it was just an eclipse of the sun. Well, perhaps that's true, but if it is, it's the longest one ever recorded. Do you know how long it usually takes for the eclipse of the sun? I think the longest known record that we know of is about 15 minutes. Here for three hours, it goes dark all over the land. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is hanging there on that cross in darkness. The people standing around the cross are there in darkness. The people in Jerusalem, inside the city that have come there for the Passover, millions of people are in darkness. And they're standing there wondering what's going on. 
what's happening that during this time that it has suddenly become so dark. It was a time when our sins was being loaded upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Sin is called darkness in the Bible. From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. The ninth hour is three o'clock. So three hours has passed here since this began. In verse 46 it says about the ninth hour. What was to happen at the ninth hour? Three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, there were some normal things that we'll talk about in just a few minutes. But look at what begins to happen on the cross. Verse 46 says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. Now this man's been hanging on that cross for six hours. He was beaten almost to death before he was nailed on the cross. He had been up all night the night before, going through several trials. He had not had anything to eat. He had not really had anything to drink. They had offered him a a concoction of of, uh, sour wine and gall, but he wouldn't drink that. And here he is, hanging out there in the elements. And it says he cried with a loud voice. I don't know how many dying people you've ever been around, but for anyone who is dying to speak with a loud voice is almost unheard of. Because most of the people who are dying, their breath is leaving their body. And I've been there when a few people have died. I recall one experience that I had a lady in our church had been in a coma for about three days. She was in the intensive care unit at Sweetwater Hospital, and I had went by several times to visit with her, and I was home, and the phone rang. I answered the phone, and it was one of her family. I said, Brother Clayton, says, Sister Ann has come out of the, the coma. Could you come to the hospital? And I went to the hospital and there was her whole family and the intensive care unit gathered around her bed. And I walked in and she was just laying there just looking up. And I went over and stood beside the bed and I said, Miss Ann, what are you looking at? She said, Jesus. Her nephew was standing at the foot of the bed. And he said, Hey, Nan, doesn't that scare you? She said, No, doesn't scare me. I've been looking for him all my life. And she just left. That was it. That was her parting words. She went out to be with Jesus. I've remembered that experience down through these years. That's, that's many years ago. Now here's Jesus, and he cries with a loud voice, so loud that it was shocking, no doubt. And what did he say? 
saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And Matthew is good enough to interpret that for us. So that was probably Hebrew that he was saying that in. But it interprets to this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, for him to cry out with a loud cry, that was one thing. But what he said was something else. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was being forsaken at that very moment. God had to forsake him in order for him to atone for our sins. But you remember, Jesus had lived a sinless life. He had no sin. He knew no sin. But he was made to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. At this very moment, the sins of the world was being loaded upon him. God had to forsake him in order for that to happen. first time in his life he'd ever experienced sin and here it is all of our sins all the sins of the past all the sins of the future was loaded upon him and he cries out to his father my God my God why have you forsaken I heard someone preaching the other day about is it right for us to question God about some things? Well, I want you to notice the question that Jesus put there. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I think it's okay for us to ask God why in certain situations if we're willing to take his answer. Sometimes things happen to us that we don't understand. But Jesus, as he cried out there, he was being forsaken. But that cry was misunderstood. Look at the rest of that verse down, verse 47. Some of them that stood there, when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. Well, Elias was one of the Old Testament prophets. Some of them said, he's calling for Elias. Or Elijah, as we would say. One of them had compassion on him in verse 48, straightway, which means immediately. One of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, sour wine and put it on a reed, and stuck it up to his mouth for him to drink. But the others, the rest said, let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. They wanted to see something miraculous. They were seeing something miraculous and didn't know it. But they wanted to see if Elijah would come. Leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come. Let's see if God will answer his prayer. 
They were mocking him. But it doesn't end there. Verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. There's that loud voice again. He still had the strength to cry with a loud voice. And he yielded up the ghost. That's something miraculous. That phrase, he yielded up the ghost, means he dismissed his spirit. He died. John tells us of what he actually said in that loud voice. John records that he said, it is finished. What was it that was finished? All that God had sent him here to do was finished. He had went through the virgin birth. He had went through being taken to the temple and dedicated to God being circumcised on the eighth day. He had been through his childhood of people misunderstanding him, people mocking him. He had been to the temple at the age of 12. He had done so many miracles, taught so many lessons, lived so many minutes of his life. Some people praised him. Others cursed him. He had chosen his disciples. He had walked on the water. He had raised the dead. He had healed the sick. He had restored sight to the blind. And now here he is, hanging on that cross. And he cries out. If I can pronounce the, the word that he used, to tell us die, which means it is finished. It was a shout of victory, not a shout of defeat. Jesus was saying, everything that God has sent me to do, I have accomplished. Even my death on the cross. That was planned from eons in the past. That it would happen. But it's at three o'clock in the afternoon on Passover day. Do you know what is taking place just a half a mile away in the city of Jerusalem, in the temple? Caiaphas, the high priest, was just going into the Holy of Holies. At three o'clock in the afternoon on Passover, he's going in there 
to make the atonement for the sins of the people. Only day in the year that he could go in there. And he was the only one allowed to go in there. And he's just going in. Out in the streets. Someone is blowing a shofar, a horn, to announce that it was Passover time, that it was time for the sacrifice to be made, that it was time for the Lamb of God to be killed. It was time for His blood to cover our sins. And just at this time, Jesus cried out and said, It is finished. And notice what happens in verse 51. And behold, there's that word behold again. It means a miraculous thing is happening. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. We've been studying about that veil in the tabernacle, which was a tent. And the Jewish people used that for hundreds of years. That veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. When the temple was built here, and it took Herod 56 year, or 46 years to build this temple. Scholars said that that, that veil that hung between the, the congregational place and where the Holy of Holies was, was probably 60 feet tall. And notice what happens to it. The veil of the temple was rent or torn from the top to the bottom. Only God could do that. Man couldn't even reach the top of it, let alone tear that veil. I've read somewhere where they said that it, it was probably two feet thick. What did that veil represent? It represented a separation between God and man. You see in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies was placed, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies, and God said, I will dwell with you there. And the people would come to worship in that, that tent, and they would come there, and they would offer their sacrifices to God. But only one day a year, was anyone else allowed in that temple, in that holy of holies? Only the high priest, and only one day, the day of Passover. And this is the day of Passover. You see, God ripped that veil from top to bottom to indicate, now listen to this, to indicate that you and I, Sinful as we may be, that you and I can come into the presence of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have access to God, something that man had never had in all of creation, from the Garden of Eden on to this time. Man had been separated from God. When Adam and Eve sinned there in the garden, God had to drive them out. They were sinful and He was holy. You see, 
the law and the prophets, all of these things that man had tried to do down through the years to get close to God had now been accomplished through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And notice some other things that takes place here. Not only was that veil rent from top to bottom, it says the earth did quake. The earth began to shake and tremble. And it says the rocks rent, the rocks split. They tell us that there is a earthquake fault that runs right through the middle of the mountain there. It's the mountain on which Gethsemane is located. It's just to the east of the city of Jerusalem, less than a half a mile. On the side of that hill, there's all kinds of tombs. They're made out of rock. This is the cemetery. It's still there today. It says the rocks rent. Verse 52 says, And the graves, plural, graves were opened. That earthquake shook that whole place. The graves out there on that hillside there were tombs, they, they opened. And the Bible says something else. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now get what the Bible is saying here. This terrifying earthquake. Anytime an earthquake happens, it sends terror. I remember several years ago watching a, a baseball game. It was being played, I believe it was in Los Angeles, and an earthquake hit. And I was sitting in my living room watching it on TV and how people run and they started screaming and hollering and all those kind of things. They were scared and they were rightly to be scared. But here, there's another miraculous thing happens. These graves were opened. And you'd just think all those dead bodies would just lay there, wouldn't you? But that's not what the Bible says happened. And many, not all, but many, Many bodies of the saints, now notice, of the saints, not the sinners, many bodies of the saints, those who love the Lord, 
Those who serve God, many bodies of the saints which slept arose. They got up. Jesus had been called to the house of a centurion. His little 12-year-old girl was dead. The mourners were gathered around out in the yard. And Jesus put them all out and he took her mother and daddy, went into that room where she was at. He took her by the hand. And he said, young lady, arise. And she got up. Jesus met a hearse going through the city one day with the body of a man that had died. His mother was weeping and following and Jesus walked over, laid his hands on that coffin and said unto you, I say unto you, young man, arise. And he got up. Lazarus had been in the grave three day, four days. And Jesus walked out there to that grave. And he cried and said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus got up and came forth out of that grave. Now here's more people getting up from the dead. Now notice, it says they came out of the graves after his resurrection, which means three days later. Why? What's the importance of this? I got to looking back in, in the Bible and looking at some things, and I found a reference over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me just read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 and 23. Paul says this, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. And verse 23 says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. You have to understand the word first fruits. First fruits is a harvesting term, a farming term. They plant the fields of grain. And when the harvest begins to get ripe, they send out a reaper who goes around the edge of the field and he reaps the first fruits. That around the edge always gets ripest first because it gets more sunlight. And they would bring that sheaf to the man who owned the field and they would present it to him. And they would say, this is the first fruits of your crop. The rest will be dead already in about three days. Here, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first one that will arise. These others, they came out of the grave after his resurrection. They make up that sheaf, you see. It's God saying, 
This is what the resurrection's going to look like. There's a whole field full out there that's going to be harvested before long. We're still looking for that. But it's going to happen here one day. Jesus is going to step out on the clouds of glory and the trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive will be caught up together with him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's a picture not only of what Jesus did there. But what he's going to do when he comes back for us. They came out of the graves after his resurrection. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Can you imagine the astonishment? of people that have had relatives out there in that cemetery that they haven't saw and since they were little kids. And here comes Grandma and Grandpa walking down the street. You can let your imagination run wild on that. You say, well, that'd have to be a miracle. Amen. Something only God can do. You see, these bodies is what dies. Our soul and our spirit lives on. Either with God in heaven or with Satan in hell. And we make the choice as to which place we're going. Now, let's go on. Verse 54. Now when the centurion that man who was a over a hundred soldiers, he was called a centurion. And I woke up this morning thinking about that. Was this the same centurion that Jesus had went to his house? Was this the same centurion? Had heard Jesus say to his daughter, get up. And she got up. I don't know. It could be. But notice, the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus, they saw the earthquake and those things that were done and they feared greatly. But notice, that's not the end. Notice what they said. Truly, this was the Son of God. This centurion who had saw Jesus beaten within an inch of his life. This centurion who had oversaw Jesus carrying the cross down the Via Dolorosa, falling under the weight of that cross, seeing Jesus nailed to the cross, seeing him hang there for six hours between the heavens and the earth. And he come to this conclusion, not only him, but those that were with him. Truly, this was the Son of God. It confirmed everything that he believed about Jesus. This was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. We mentioned them last Sunday, among which were 
Mary Magdalene, the woman he'd cast seven demons out of, and Mary, the mother of James and Jose, and the mother of Zebedee's children, James and John. We saw these ladies around the cross last week. But do you realize that Matthew doesn't mention Jesus' mother being there? See, I shared with you last week that John took her to his house. She didn't witness the death of her son. It doesn't mention her there. Her sister was there. Her friend was there. Mary Magdalene was there. But not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Nor does it mention John being there. Think about the courage and the love those women had. His disciples had run. But they stayed. Somebody might say, why? Why did Christ endure all of that? If he was the Son of God, why didn't he just come down off the cross like they'd ask him to? And we'd believe in him. Because had he done that, there would be no remedy for our sins. He paid our sin debt. He paid a debt he did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in his flesh, but quickened, by the Spirit, made alive again by the Spirit. Jesus did that because He loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friend, if you'd have been the only one, if I'd have been the only one who'd ever sinned in this, life, in this life, Jesus would have still paid our debt for us. He loves us that much. He loves you enough to be calling to your heart right now. Letting you know that He wants to be your Lord and Savior. Letting you know that He'll forgive you of all your sins. But He doesn't come in without you inviting Him in. In this time of invitation that we're about to have here today, we invite you to come. God invites you to come. That veil has been torn. The access to God is wide open through Jesus Christ. Christians, 
If you need to come and repent of your sins, it's a good time to do it today. Whatever God is saying to your heart, just simply obey Him. As we stand together and bow our heads in a moment of prayer, Brother Ron's coming with the hymn of invitation. Father, we find it amazing how you could love us so much. It's beyond our grasp that you would allow your son to do that for us. Lord, we're so grateful that our sins have been taken care of. That they're underneath the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I pray today Lord, that that heart that you're calling to even right now, and it may be even someone in their home that is listening, that Lord, that you're speaking to, help them just to humble themselves before you and to cry out to you and ask you to be your, your Lord and Savior. Lord, you promised you'll do that. Father, we thank you. Your word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Hallelujah, what a promise. Thank you, Father, for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.